friends. And uh, hello, everybody online that's going to be watching this. And uh, we want to pray that God is keeping you safe. I just uh, had a phone call with somebody in our church who is, I think he's in his 70s, and uh, he had COVID, Jerry Peicher. And uh, we've all been praying for him. And man, he sounds great. Tired, but he sounds great. He cannot get, wait to get back to church. He says, I don't know how you're making it without me, he says. And, uh, well, we certainly are struggling. So, Jerry, if you're watching this, we love you, brother. And uh, we're looking forward to getting you back and along with everybody else that right now is, is uh, not yet ready to join us. We're ready for you when you're ready. So we look forward. Man, I am so looking forward to when we're all back together again. Isn't that going to be great? All right, let's pray for that, shall we? And um, we've got a lot to talk about, so I'm going to reiterate what Pastor Matthew and Serena just did, just get your Bibles open. If Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, and we are going to see a lot in this passage. Now, I'm going to get you ready for this, and the way that I'm going to get you ready for this is taking you to last week. Now, if you didn't catch last week's sermon, then you're probably not going to know what I'm talking about too much, so I would really encourage you to go back to last week on our website, on our Facebook page, and watch that sermon, uh, worship through that sermon, uh, because that sermon's going to lead you to the awareness that God wants a holy church. And what is holiness? Holiness is the power of God, friends, to make the inside of you match the outside of you. And to make the outside of you to match the inside of you. What that simply means is that we're, just, we're not just Christians when we're here together. We are Christians in every moment of our lives. But there's a lot of us that struggle with hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is deceiving other people by hiding your sin. Hypocrisy is not struggling with sin. It's struggling with sin and deceiving people that you don't have a struggle with sin. And God wants a holy church. And when he gets his church holy, you're going to see today just how powerful that could be. Now let me tell you what happened this last week. A friend of mine that does not go to this church, I actually have not seen him in probably about six years. He's in his 60s. Came in, and I don't know if this will shock you or not. I don't think it really should in our modern age, unfortunately. Came in and talked to me and said, Pastor Tim, I need to tell you something that I'm not really, really told anybody. I've been struggling with pornography since I was 12 years old. Now, I haven't told you one bit of the story, and that bit of the story is he's a pastor. So if you think pastors don't struggle with sin, then you do not understand human nature. We all struggle with sin. And what a heroic man. For the first time in 50-something years of struggling with his sin, he finally told somebody. He got it out. 
The way he walked out of my office was noticeably different than the way that he came in. Bowed down under the shame of that sin. Now, finally, he got it out. That's the beginning of dealing with hypocrisy. You confess, you repent, and you worship. And repentance is way more than the realization that you just broke a command of God. It's the realization that you broke the heart of God. You understand that? That's what repentance is. It's the realization that you broke the heart of God and he is welcoming you home because he loves you so much. And you come home and you worship. Now friends, I'm going to ask you a question and I don't want you to respond other than internally. Did you confess and repent and worship this week? By God's grace, did he dislodge the power and the grip of sin in your life a little bit more this past week? Has he brought you a little bit further on the road to holiness this past week? Now, I'm going to tell you something. Now, listen, just take it. If you can trust me, I would appreciate it. I've been doing this for a long time, almost three decades now. There are some of you sitting here, I'm just telling you from experience, that are struggling horribly with sin, and you will not tell anyone. You know what that's going to do? That's going to put you in a dungeon your entire life, a prison, until you get the courage to confess it. And you're probably thinking, like a lot of people do when they tell me, well, yeah, I know I need to confess it, but I'm going to confess it privately to God. I'm going to tell you, he's going to tell you, confess it to someone who represents God, a fellow Christian who is trustworthy. You can get away with a lot by thinking that you're confessing with God, but you're hiding it to other people. Are you on your way to holiness? I'm just telling you, come on. Get on the road to holiness. It is fresh air. It is fresh power in your life. You're never going to look back and regret your confession. So you're in Acts chapter 5. I'm in Acts chapter 5. And I want to recall just briefly that last week we looked at a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira were liars. They were liars that were, he, that were deceiving the church. And God would not let that happen because hypocrisy spreads like leaven in a loaf of bread. And it puffs you up and it will puff other people up. So God dealt with it by taking their lives. And remember last week we thought, well, that's kind of a bit of an overreaction until you understand that this is a new work of God. It is the church that is bringing into reality the new covenant. And when God does a new work, his response to sin is heightened. That doesn't mean he will not respond to our sin today. That means that his response was lethal. And Ananias and Sapphira breathe their last. And look at verse 11. Let's all get in the Bible. Acts chapter 5. Doesn't matter if you're young or if you're older. Get your Bible out. You can read. You can be in this. Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard. Now, I'm going to tell you from my perspective, looking at you, there's people that aren't looking in their Bible. 
Do you realize I could tell you anything and you're likely going to believe it? The only way you know what I'm telling you is true is if you're in your Bible as I'm preaching. So get your Bibles open. Let's get in the Bible. Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard. Today we're going to see the power of a pure church as it witnesses of Jesus and its community. I'm going to give you three points. You ready? We're going to fly. I think we're going to keep this within our time length, maybe. You never really know. I always like to credit that to the spirit of God's freedom in me. Uh, nobody else believes that. But here we go. They were a public church, number one. They were a public church. Now, I bet you're kind of like me because I've listened to a whole lot of preaching sometimes for a sermon to get traction in me and that usually means I was pretty lazy as a listener not so much that the, the, the preacher was boring it's that I was not practicing biblical redemptive listening so right right now let me get you involved in this what does it mean to you for me to say they were a public church let me just think through that What's going through your mind right now? Listen to the word of God unfold in verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Now Solomon's portico is not the name of a building in Jerusalem where all the Christians hid away. They didn't go into 2nd Street, downtown Easton, where almost only Christians gathered. They are out in the public. They are out in Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch. Now, you've likely heard the phrase, he wears his heart on a sleeve, or he wears his heart on his sleeve. You've heard that phrase? Everybody nod your head if you're awake. Okay, have you actually heard of that phrase? Okay, that means that the way that he feels is easily recognized by other people. You know where that came from? It came from medieval knights who would put their armor on before a joust. And they would take a, an emblem from the lady that they loved and they would put it somewhere and tuck it into their armor and when they're jousting, that emblem would be in, in front of everybody to see. And they'd be bringing honor to this lady. They'd be declaring, my heart is taken for a woman. It's a public symbol of love. It's not one that they tucked below the breastplate of the armor. So let me ask a question. Let's be just ruthlessly honest with your own soul. You just got to do that. Are you public with your faith? Are you? Somebody is. Are you public with your faith? All right, now listen. Is there anybody in your sphere of influence that does not know that you are a Christ-fearing, Christ-loving, Christ-centered Christian. I mean, come on, think of the people that you work with. Do they all know, not just by your words, but by the way that you live, that you are distinct from the world, that you've been brought into the kingdom of God. You are a peculiar person because you are the salt and the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that the way people know you? 
Are you wearing your faith on your sleeve? The church must be public about our faith. And this early church, they gathered, you know, where Solomon's portico was. This is actually pretty cool. Everybody look at me for a second. This is going to blow your mind. Have you ever been, raise your hand, if you've ever been to a National Football League game up in that stadium, live? You ever been to one? Think in your mind if you have, or even if you've been to your high school football game. Think how big that field is. Now imagine the temple in Jerusalem. It's five football fields big. That's how big it is. And along the whole eastern side of it is this double-pillared overhang called Solomon's Portico. You could get thousands of people in there, over 10,000 people. That's where the early church kept gathering over and over and over. And they would preach the apostles would. And all these people would be gathering in there. And then they would go home to their life groups, you know, their home groups. And they would talk about the apostles preaching. And then they would share a meal. And then they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. And then they would say, hey, is there any Anybody that has anything in need, let's practice hospitality and let's pray for one another. That's how the church operated. Anybody could come into Solomon's portico, and in fact, they did. Now, here's the cool news. If you didn't know this, if you're a Gentile, that means you're not a Jew. If you're a Gentile, you could only go as far into the temple as the court of Gentiles. That's the outside. By the way, that's where Solomon's portico was. So this was now accessible to both Jewish people and Gentile people. Why? Because God has a message that needs to get to the ends of the earth. It's not just for Israel. But that's not the only thing that the apostles were doing, you know, preaching. They didn't just work one day a week like some of you heretics think that we do. They were doing, look what it says, many signs and wonders. Now Luke's going to tell us what some of these were, but let's learn a little bit about signs and wonders. What are they? Well, let me make it super simple. Signs are miracles. It's just a synonym, basically. But it's a miracle that points to something greater than itself. They were miracles that were bigger than just themselves. Do you remember when Jesus took some fish and some loaves and he multiplied them for 5,000 men plus women and children. That was a miracle, but it was a sign that he's the bread of heaven. He can nourish the souls of countless people. He is the everyday strength and vitality that we need. So a sign is a miracle that points to something greater than itself. Wonders were unusual events that just shell-shocked you. They blew your mind. They left you amazed. And we're told that the apostles are performing these signs, these miracles, and these amazing wonders. And who are the apostles? Now, if I asked you that question privately, can you define for me who the apostles were? Or if somebody that you're, you work with, 
came up and said, hey, you know, they, they went to church this last week, and they don't usually go to church, and the church is talking about these apostles. Who's the apostles? And they ask you that. How would you answer them? Well, I'm going to answer it so briefly and so succinctly for you. Hopefully, you'll always remember this. They were authorized, anointed men called the disciples. They were personally taught by Jesus, and you might be arguing, what about Paul? He was an apostle. He wasn't one of the twelve. No, Jesus made resurrected appearances to, to Paul and taught him personally. So the apostles were personally taught by Jesus, given authority by Jesus, given power by Jesus, and the very last one to ever live was John, who died, some believe, almost 100 years old. He's the last of the apostles. It's the apostles that were doing the signs and the wonders. Out in the public preaching so people can learn so that people could serve one another and help people who are in need what a great reminder friends what a great reminder i tell you what my life changed i don't know i think it was 2004 it's either 2003 or 2004 i read a book honestly i can't even remember the title of it but I went out to a conference right after I read it out in Colorado. The only time I've ever been to Colorado, Longmont, Colorado. You fly into Denver, you go north 45 minutes. And I went to this conference, and the whole conference was about taking your church and becoming externally focused. It blew my mind. It changed my life. I did not realize just how inwardly focused our church had become. I was a youth pastor at that time. I didn't realize how inwardly focused I had become. We changed the direction, the compass, and the church exploded. The youth group exploded, went from 40 kids to 100-something kids. Why? Because we went outward. We got caring for our community we fell in love for the people that are in need all the way around us why because the gospel creates a faith in the church that's meant to be public it's meant to be out there not just when we organizationally plan it but listen this is so important it's meant to be out there when every single christian watching this online and every single christian in this room right now realizes they need to go public with their faith they've got to wear it on their sleeve people need to hear the gospel so your public mission field friends is the practice in which you work the hospital where you work the school where you teach the school where you attend the friends that you have in your neighborhoods the sports teams that you play on that's your mission field and that's where you take the gospel the good news of jesus is meant to go public through every Christian. So you don't wait for the rare occasion, and listen, this has been rare in my life, the rare occasion that somebody who doesn't know Jesus comes up to you and wants to hear about Jesus. That has happened, but it is so rare. 
You live your life publicly. You go and make disciples of all nations. You share your faith publicly and, and graciously on Facebook this week. Listen, take the challenge. I would challenge and encourage every single one of you to publicly on Facebook, if you have it, or Twitter or Instagram, you share your faith in Jesus Christ. Share the gospel that he died on the cross for your sins and see what God's going to do. Why would you not be public with it? Weird story. Last March, we had a massive, massive 85-foot cottonwood tree in our backyard. It had two trunks. They joined at the stump. And both of them were 36 to 40 inches in diameter. We were always worried that a windstorm is going to drop them, <laughs> ironically, on our neighbors' homes. They, I think they would have missed our house, but we were so worried about it that we finally had a tree service take them down. And to try to save some money, and because I've got the equipment, I've got chainsaws, I've got log splitters, I do a lot of wood, I said to the tree company, just take as much as you can Put it into your machine and mulch it. Leave the rest and I'll take care of it. Save some money. So it's sitting in my yard over against my neighbor's property. And I'm starting to say, I better take care of this. This, this wood is so wet. It is so heavy. Until I block it up every 18 inches, it's never going to dry out. But my chainsaw only has a 20-inch bar on it. These trees are massive. So I asked Denise yesterday, would you go to a store over in Jersey? I've already called. I couldn't do it. I was already tied up. They've already got the chain uh, set out for you. You just got to go in and buy it. I already got a 24-inch bar. Now, that, now I got to get the 24-inch chain. She goes over there, and she comes home, and she says, guess what, honey? The Lord gave me the opportunity to share the gospel with that lady. I said, you mean you told her you go to church? I didn't say that. She goes, no, I really told that lady that Jesus loves you and he died for you. And that all of this stuff happening in the world right now, God's in control of it. This is all part of his plan. You don't need to be fearful if you know God as your personal savior. He's your father. He's sovereign. He is good. She got a chance to tell this lady the entire gospel. Why? Because Denise lives her faith publicly. Do you? If you want to be like the early church, you want to be a holy Christian, then you cannot keep it in. But a public church is not the only thing you're going to see. Look at the second point. They were an evangelistic church. Now I'm going to define that word in a second, but here's the scripture. Verse 13, none of the rest dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And it seems like these are contradictory, right? Nobody would, do, would, would dare join them, but yet they're being added. The people of Jerusalem respected the church, but they didn't really want anything to do with them. Does that sound familiar, Christian? You know, the mayor of this town, Sal Panto, really loves our church. But he's never attended to worship. Well, maybe they heard of the divine punishment of Ananias and Sapphira, 
So perhaps they sensed the, uh, the growing anger, maybe, of the Jewish rulers against the church. And that, I don't want anything to do with that. People get killed in that church. I mean, look, at they're going to get some suffering because nobody likes them that's up in the priesthood. Whatever the reason, no one joined, listen, carelessly. They were afraid to. Pretenders were not welcome. Man, I've met so many pretenders in my years of ministry. I've had people come into this church and they made an appointment with me and they sat down in my office and I'm not kidding you. They said, you know what? I believe God's in this place. I'm going to give you $2 million. Not me, but to the church. The guy didn't have any money. Not only was he a pretender, he was an abuser of a girl in our church. Pretenders were not welcome. It was dangerous to carelessly join this church. Maybe they had a respect for these believers, but, but those called by God only would join them. And look what was happening. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Now listen, wouldn't you really kind of think that the terminology that Luke would have said was more than ever people were added to the church? Have you ever noticed how Luke says this? They were added to the Lord. This isn't about some modern list of the top ten growing churches in the world. This was not some church expert giving a, a podcast on how to fill the pews in your church in four weeks. It wasn't about filling pews. It was about filling the Lamb's Book of Life. They didn't care how many people were gathering in Solomon's portico. Their focus was seeing people get saved. And you've got to admit, for a lot of us, we don't have that focus. Just admit it, we don't really think like this. I mean, does it beat in your heart every day, and does it come through in your prayers? God, just give me somebody to talk to today, that I can tell them about your grace, about your love, and lead them to the Lord. How many of you are catalyzed by that kind of praying? Multitudes were getting saved. Look what Luke says. Men and women. This is a gender specific. They were becoming citizens in the kingdom of God. The early church was evangelistic. You know what that word means? They shared the gospel. The word for gospel is euangelion. It's evangelistic. It is about the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. They had beautiful feet in the church. And this is our desire at Cornerstone that God would bless us with new Christians coming in. Listen, we're really not wanting to grow anymore from unhappy Christians disillusioned at their previous church. If that's you, hey, come on in if you're willing to get on board our vision. Our vision is to see people come to know Jesus Christ because they're going to hell. And for that to happen, all of us have to go public. All of us have to tell the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. They were a public church. They were an evangelistic church. But third and final, they were a miraculous church. I'm not sure if this has been the most often leveled criticism at me per personally, but it certainly has been one that I've heard several times. That our church isn't organized enough. We don't have a good enough strategy. 
the early church had no formula. <laughs> Listen, they had no clear strategy. They had no large building. They didn't have worship teams. They had no Christian podcasts. Listen, unbelievably, it's going to blow your mind. Nobody even had Christian t-shirts then. But they grew. They grew. It's going to get a little more organized, but honestly, at this point, it really wasn't organized. And it proves, again, that while worldly strategies can fill a church's pews, only the Spirit of God can fill the Lamb's book of life. Amen? It was a miraculous work of God, and we see proof of it. Verse 15, people carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall upon some of them. And the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick. Remember I told you a moment ago that signs are miracles that point to something greater than themselves and wonders are unbelievably mind-blowing events? Do you know what their purposes were? There's three of them I can identify. To confirm the messenger, think Exodus 4, when Moses said, I can't do it, I can't go talk, talk to the people, they're never going to believe me, and God says, wait till they see the signs and wonders I'm going to do through you, and then they will believe you. So it's to confirm the messenger, and it's to confirm the message, and it's to confirm that the kingdom of God is breaking into the reality of the kingdom of this world. It's about three things. The messenger, message, and the kingdom of God. This is why it says in Mark 16 that the disciples went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message, listen, by accompanying signs. Do you see, miracles are all to confirm the messenger, the message, and the kingdom of God. Because the Holy Spirit has never not even once saved through a miracle. Now, some of y'all are going to debate that. But the Spirit of God has never saved any human being through a miracle. He uses miracles to open their minds and to their heart, open their hearts to the truth of the gospel that they could be saved. So what does the church do in the first century? Look at chapter 4. Can you go back just a little bit? Look at verse 29. Here's what they did. They, continued to, they, they asked God to help them continue to speak your word, verse 29, with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They prayed, God, give us boldness to speak the gospel and confirm it through your miracles. Now look at verse 16, Acts chapter 5. People all around Jerusalem brought those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. These are demons. These are fallen angels that are wreaking havoc. In fact, the Jewish people, you got to hear this, they believed that there were 7,500,000 demons. They even put a number to it. And they were all working to destroy the world. 
But what did Jesus say in Luke eleven twenty? Look at on the screen. But it it is. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What's the purposes of signs and wonders? It is to confirm the messenger, the message, and the arrival of the kingdom of God. He said in chapter ten of Matthew. He called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Notice the terminology in Acts 5. There wasn't one person that wasn't healed. There wasn't one demon-possessed person that wasn't delivered. Every single one of them were delivered. You know what happened in our government in 2019? Have you, have you heard this? The chaplain, Father Patrick Conroy, he's a chaplain of the House of Representatives, he was, he commented on the sharp division that was happening. This is 2019. Remember when this was really ramping up? Really, really ramping up? This division between Democrat and Republican. Here's what Father Conroy says, and I'm quoting him. This has been a difficult and contentious week in which darker spirits seem to have been at play in the people's house. In your most holy name, I now cast out all spirits of darkness in this chamber, spirits not from you. That was the prayer of Father Conroy in 2019 in our government. Christian friends, listen, you got to have your eyes open. You really think this is about freedom of speech? You really think that's what's going on? This is really not about Democrat and Republican. This is about the devil trying to destroy us. At the root of this, it is spiritual. And so politicizing this and getting so angry at this and lobbing softballs of criticism at the other party, you're missing the right fight. You're not fighting the right fight. The right fight is fought on your knees. Signs and wonders can and will be imitated by Satan. Did you know that? That he's going to deceive even the elect if possible. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elected devil can do signs and wonders. The coming of the lawless one, Paul said in 2 in Second Thessalonians, is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Well, how are you going to know between God's wonders and the devil's wonders which is which? I'm going to tell you how you know. It's super simple. Do the signs and wonders confirm the messengers of God and the message of the gospel and show the kingdom of God coming to earth? If they do, they're from God because the devil cannot do those. Here's what the devil does when he does signs and wonders. It brings glory and honor to disarray and confusion and disunity he has come to steal kill and destroy so what a time church what a time it is for a spirit-filled church to rise up in power and authority i told you last week 
that when God began a new work in his people, his response to sin in his people was severe and it, it was heightened. I told you that at the beginning of this message. Now I want you to listen very carefully. I'm almost done. Are you listening? In the same way, now hear this, when God begins a fresh work or a new work in an area that has never heard the gospel, there's still 6,700 unreached people groups on this planet. So when God begins a new work or a new work in a new area, the display of his power and his authority through his people is supernaturally heightened. And all of a sudden, you begin to see signs and wonders again. And the result is that a great number of people will be added to the Lord. They will be getting saved. And the sick will be healed. And the possessed and the harassed by demons will be freed. And, we, and they'll be delivered. So here's my question. Should we expect Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, listen, to be normative should that be the normal way that the church operates today in america and my answer is no the apostolic era ended when john died that was in that was a time of unparalleled authority and power now listen because i do not want you walking out without understanding what i'm about to tell you but God still performs signs and wonders all around the world. So should we ask God for fresh power of the Spirit so that the unsaved would see these signs and these wonders and believe the gospel? There is absolutely no doubt in my mind the answer is yes. Should we expect the apostolic authority and power to be normative? No. Should we ask God for fresh power? Yes. So that the unsaved can be saved. It will confirm the messenger. It will confirm the message. It will open eyes to the kingdom of God. That's the way of the gospel. So what do we need to do? Well, here's how I end We've got to be a public church out in our community, both together and individually, and we've got to serve people and love people, and we've got to be an evangelistic church sharing the good news that salvation is available through Jesus to anybody. You could be the worst sinner in, the, in your imagination, but God still can save you. And thirdly, we need to be a miraculous church, asking God to show himself through signs and wonders to confirm his messengers, confirm his message, and confirm his kingdom that is here and save many. Amen? That was weak. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example, Lord. Even though I don't believe that was normative, I don't believe that's what you are calling that kind of power every church to experience. Father, I do believe that you have fresh power and that a spirit-filled church will experience this. In whatever way you deem suitable, Lord, people still need to see God. And they need to see signs and wonders and evidences. 
and to confirm the messenger and confirm the message and to show that the kingdom of God really is here, they need to make a decision. Because it might be that day that is the day of their salvation. So, Father, we ask, Lord, would you give that kind of fresh power to Cornerstone? But, Lord, let me say through this prayer to all my friends, that power will only come when we have a holy church. And, Lord, you are in the business of taking each of us, me, and everybody in this sanctuary, everybody online, and getting sin rooted out of our hearts so that our insides match our outsides. Because it's only then when we are a holy people that you will be among us exercising your power in wonder-working ways. Lord, let us take that serious to confess and repent and to worship our great God. You are the wonder-working God. We love you. Lord, we pray as we sing this song, Lord, as we close our service, Father, may our hearts be in sync with our lips. Let us not leave, Lord, before we are ready to make our our faith public, to be evangelistic, and to seek the miraculous, wonder-working power of our God. In Jesus' name we pray.